This one's gonna be a rough one, Sherry. We've had a rough last couple of days and we've decided to go ahead and talk about it and uh, it's it's very emotional we haven't solved the situation we're in it's raw but we've decided to sit down and talk about it and record it because this is this is what our contribution to this discussion is. This is this is what people out there that are hurting this is the part they resonate with. And so that's why we're doing it. Neither of us are at the top of our game. We haven't slept in a while and um if you're tuning in looking for answers, this might not be the episode to, to listen to. There certainly are some episodes where we offer what we hope is a lot of hope. And we offer some examples that are aspirational and maybe some guidance for people that are in an alcoholic relationship, alcoholic marriage, and want help uh, finding their way. But this, this, that's not this episode. This today, we're going to talk about the ways in which we are still stuck. So I appreciate you being here and going through this with me. Um, I I think we need to give a little bit of background. I think we need to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that we brought into our relationship and then we added to that alcoholism. I added to that alcoholism. That's on me. But you... We've talked about this before. I'm not trying to bash your family. I think you know that. I pray that you know that. But it's the reality of the situation that can't be ignored. You, there were two divorces. Your mother was divorced twice while you were growing up, right? Yeah. Your father, the her first divorce, was an alcoholic. He died when you and I just very first started dating many years ago. Um... But the reason that that's relevant is not, it's not relevant because you and our relationship are, have ever really been looking for a divorce. You, you haven't, you've been in this and, and, you know, I think part of that you've shared with me that you want to break the cycle and you don't want, you want our kids to grow up in a healthy, healthy household where two loving parents show what that means and 
that's a commitment that you've made and you've worked very hard on it. So that's not why the divorces of your childhood are relevant. The reason it's relevant is you grew up in relative insecurity. You didn't know, you know, your mom worked hard. She took care of you. You weren't, she didn't abuse you. You weren't neglected. I don't, I don't want to paint this picture to be more than it is, but you had to move a few times, right? We moved after my parents got divorced and I lived there my whole life. And then we moved in when my mom and dad, stepdad got married. Right. So you moved a few times. Yeah. So I moved when I was two. And I lived there until I was a freshman in high school when my mom and stepdad got married. And then... And then that, you know, that relationship ended too. And so... From a... Here's what I'm trying to get to. You grew up without security, without... Um, the you know the knowledge that you were um, loved unconditionally, and that there would never be a worry about money, and that there would always be enough of everything. That wasn't your existence. There was worry, right? Again, not trying to paint the picture bleaker than it really was. You had food to eat. But your mom had to work hard and kind of scrape to make that happen sometimes, right? Yes, sometimes she had to. And so... So you... You grew up without the security that it... You know, that we all try to give our children. Kind of top priority, top of the list kind of stuff. Well, and with my dad in the picture, and when he would drink and he would come pick us up, that made for a very emotionally unstable environment so I was also looking for emotional stability sure and safety and security something that was normal and average and basic and wonderfully uncomplicated wonderfully uncomplicated well that sure didn't happen for you because this is plenty complicated but okay so that, you know, that's what my impression of the background, you've just kind of validated that for me. So, you know, thank you. It, you didn't have the security that you deserved and that's what you were looking for. And so, as we've discussed, when you and I started dating, you thought that that was something that you had found in me, Right. You thought I was a safe choice. Yeah. Seemed like I was going to get through college and graduate okay and probably have a job. And I, my, my parents were still together, so had that kind of foundational background that you liked. Am I saying all this right? Yeah. And then the thing that none of us counted on was alcoholism, my alcoholism. And we spent all those years, over two decades, 
with my behavior deteriorating, my um, ability to be the kind of husband you deserve to deteriorating. Again, like like with your childhood, there was never, you know, we, we never didn't have enough money. We never didn't have enough food. We always had a nice home. We always had cars. Um, so that, it, you know, and you, you never, you and I have talked many times. We, there was never infidelity. There was never even concern about infidelity or worry about infidelity. So that wasn't the kind of security that was missing. But the the security that was missing was, you know, that normal, uh, balanced, rational life that you were you were hoping for to be loved and to be, you know, in a way protected. I don't want to sound super sexist, like you're the woman and I'm the man, so I got to protect you. But, but we do have a very traditional relationship and there is a level of that to, to our marriage and our existence that you were looking for me to be a protector. And, and don't get me wrong, I wanted nothing more than to protect you. And provide you that security. And I just blew it. I mean, it's the greatest regret of my life. I, I'm still to this day filled with shame for, for my disease and what I put you through. And I make no, no excuses. But the thing you most needed and the thing that you chose me for, I mean, honestly, Sherry, I chose you be, you know, I'm a, I'm a much more shallow person than you are. And I certainly was much more shallow than I am today back when in my 20s, in my early 20s. I chose you because you were cute and spunky and <coughs> I liked to party with you and... You were fun, but you chose me for security. The one thing you were looking for is the one thing I, I wasn't able to provide. Is that all fair and true? Yeah. Anything you want to add so far? No. So, so you know... Just just to kind of clarify how how raw and in real time this is, I, I don't have any notes in front of me. I always have notes when we do these podcasts, and I try to lead the discussion in one certain way or another. I'm not 100% sure we'll publish this. We might, you know, I might talk for half an hour and decide there's nothing here worth sharing. But we're, we're going to try anyway, and... I just want to make sure you know and everybody knows there's no script to this. This is this is really happening. So I got sober three and a half years ago. At the beginning of my sobriety, it was all about me. It was about my recovery, my fighting the cravings. I was selfish. I was self-centered. I felt like all the attention needed to be on how I was getting sober for you and, and aren't you proud of me and aren't you excited for me? 
I'm doing this for you, Sherry. Very self-centered, which I think is, it's not only typical of people who recover from alcoholism, but it's kind of important. It's got to be self-centered at the beginning. <coughs> the, the alcoholic has to be focused 100% on beating those cravings. And then we started working on the relationship. We started working on the resentments and going back through the past and dealing with the kids and all this stuff that's just so important. It's necessary. But, you know, all along while we were working on me and we were working on the relationship, we were never really truly focused on working on you. And so here we are three and a half years in, and it's just been in this year, in 2020, that you've started really focusing on what you needed to heal and recover. And the deficit that that your life experience is both growing up and in your marriage to me, the deficit it's left you with is this lack of security. And because you didn't feel that security and you trusted me originally when we first got married to provide that for you, a very reasonable you know, request that, that's one of the main things that people look for in a marriage because you turned to me for that and I just freaking wrecked it. Like there's no other way to say it. I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't know I was doing it. But through my alcoholism, I took that trust that you you just laid upon me and said, here, I've never had what I think you can give me, but I'm going to trust you to give it to me. And then I just fucked it up. Well, maybe I never even really trusted that you would provide it for me or you would give it to me. I just hoped and thought you looked like a good candidate that fit a lot of the criteria I was looking for and we got along and had fun. So maybe it was never there to begin with, that trust. I mean, it's probably pretty hard to grow up in a single mother environment of the women's lib and have a father who was inconsistent in showing up and providing and not and then to think that I could actually trust someone that was probably pretty ridiculous well maybe so maybe you're right but then I feel like you took everything you had and you gave it a shot with me 25 years ago or 27 whatever it was and said trust is really really hard for me but I'm going to try and you're the one I'm going to try with and you know I talk all the time and I write about and we talk in our Echoes of Recovery program all the time about how vulnerability needs to be rewarded when, when you expose your inner truth and your secrets and the pain that you're experiencing, you need to do that in a way and in a place where the people who, who hear that, they support you and they love on you and they hug you and they kiss you and they tell you that it's going to be okay. And they help you make it okay. And so 
whether you ever fully trusted me or not, you definitely took a chance on me and said, I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I don't know what security is like, but I'm going to try to do it with this guy. And then it completely backfired, but it backfired slowly and insidiously over, over so many years that it was, I mean, it just, it was like a drip, drip, drip. And then here we are. And so, you know, I think on the last episode of the Intoxicated Podcast, I'm pretty sure we talked about an argument that we had had when we were camping about a cooler, about packing the cooler. And that that was a typical, that, that argument, even though it was an argument and no one likes to argue, it felt so good because it felt so healthy. We had a disagreement. We kind of separated from each other for a few minutes. Um, I, I, I realized that I was, uh, you know, tired and irritable and I didn't represent myself well in that conversation. I did some apologizing. You know, I think you, you also expressed that you had been tired and, you know, we've been camping for Christ's sake, you were hot. And, um, so we had a disagreement and we made up and we moved on. The kids were there because we were all camping as a family. They got to see no screaming and yelling, no separating to, to opposite ends of the house for three days, nothing passive aggressive. They got to see us have a little tiny argument, take a breath, and then make up. And so I felt so good because it was it was so different than the arguments that we had during my active alcoholism and in my early recovery. And I felt like this is the way it's supposed to be. This is how adults are supposed to treat each other. This is how you're supposed to behave in a married relationship. And then, you know, and then this happened. And this, that you know, the specifics of what this is, I don't know. I honestly don't remember what started it. But it came down to the fact that you don't feel secure in this relationship. A very typical codependent characteristic is trying to be in control and, and you know, trying to control the uncontrollable, basically. When you're in a codependent situation, when you're in a, the, when you're the spouse of an alcoholic, there's so much that's outside of your control that you just kind of grasp for all the control you can get. And eventually, and that's what happened with us, and eventually... You know, you you've kind of um, that that's that's been an issue. You're you're kind of you know not even outwardly, but kind of under under the surface need for control of things has caused us problems, and it stems from codependency. It stems from dealing with me as an alcoholic. It stems from um, just insecurity from your childhood, insecurity from being married to me. And uh, it's it 
it's left us in a bad place. Um, one of the things that we've talked a lot about when we talk about recovering a relationship, when we talk about recovering a marriage is the all important step of trust, learning to trust your, your alcoholic loved one in recovery. And it's like this, this kind of nebulous, non-tangible thing this trust is. And you might move forward toward it, but then you slide backwards and all of the shit from the past, just it's like an anchor around your ankle and it just holds you down and doesn't let you go where you're trying to go. Sherry, you're, you're in, in therapy now. You know, like I mentioned, since the beginning of 2020, you've started to take your recovery more seriously. And one of the pieces of that puzzle is working with a therapist on the issues that are both the ramifications of childhood, which we all know. I mean, and it's a huge issue for me too. Um, The things we take out of our childhood stay with us for the rest of our lives. And then also all the turmoil and trauma of being married to an alcoholic. So you're dealing with a therapist and you're just like you and I have done with your therapist, you're able to identify that a lack of security is an issue, right? Yeah. You're able to identify that trust is elusive for you. Trusting me is difficult. Um, I don't know if we've talked about it being elusive or not. I don't remember those from anything. It's been like six sessions. Um, I think we just talked a lot about the codependency pieces, and that's one of the pieces of the codependency pieces, too. We talked about those two sessions. Kind of going through that. You talked about what? The trust and security? Yeah, like all the different like categorizations or labels or personality quirks or types that people that are codependent have and how they can be very conflicting too. So I don't know if we've talked that for me specifically if trust is elusive. We haven't quite dived into that part of it yet. Last night we talked about how how my need for control in situations where I don't feel safe or I don't feel secure or I don't know what's going on and you need me to trust you and follow you and do what you suggest without questioning so but I don't think that we've talked that it's nothing that can't happen but I guess the point is when you know you and I have done a ton of reading and a ton of research about these topics Um, we have interviewed on this podcast therapists marriage counselors um, we've read books we have just friends that are that are therapists because of what we do for a living and we get to know people and 
to to a person i've heard every single one of them talk about how security is an issue security is a common issue with codependency how trust is an issue how trust is difficult but i've never you know i've never heard like a solution it's always oh yeah that's something we need to work on yeah or you just have to make the decision i guess to just put on your you know your big girl pants and just decide that you're going to just all of a sudden learn to trust them the the reason i think this is relevant and important is because it speaks to how hard this is I mean, the analysis of what's going on is something that a good therapist, you know, is good at and offers um, offers something real and tangible to help you see, okay, here's your issue. Your issue is security. Your issue is an inability to trust. Your issue is um, it's spawned from codependency. It's because your husband's an alcoholic. It's because of this this thing that you dealt with when you were being brought up. So root cause analysis is great, and your therapist has helped you with it, and it's stuff, frankly, that you and I have talked about, you know, before you started seeing the therapist. It's, it's, it's kind of common knowledge stuff for anyone who, who starts down this path, right? But the, but the solution is, yeah, it's hard. There's no, there's no trick. There's no game you can play you it's like a leap of faith right yeah I mean I mean you can do some behavior modification things that like if you're in a situation and you feel like you're starting to control like you can give a camp like what's the best case solution or scenario what's the worst case scenario how do you think it's really going to play out like you can so kind of Use, ways to think it through and process yeah, it. Yeah, and taking time to process it. Um, but most of the time, things like that don't happen. You don't have time to really sit and process a lot of the scenarios that happen as they come up. So then, but that just kind of helps give you, you know, tools to slow down and think about it in a more rational kind of behavior mode so then you're realizing that you do trust that person or you do believe what they have to say and that you are going to trust in them yeah so okay that's good these are all things that you know that we've we've talked about and we've worked on and we've tried for a long time this you know take a break take a pause you know what so we've you, talked a lot about it. Like, well, I haven't done that in a number of years. I haven't done that in a number of years. I haven't, you know, I feel like that's the repeat that it's on. And it's, so now it's just time for me I haven't done that to, in a number of years. What like, are you talking meaning about? Meaning, like, whenever something has happened and, you know, you're like, I haven't been drinking for oh, that oh. long. And I haven't, I haven't, you know, yelled, I haven't come unhinged and yelled at you when you have messed up, like, giving me a receipt for the account, you know, the checking account, or, you know, silly things like that that I used to be nervous about talking to you about, and I had, you know, experiences when you would be unstable. So so you so you're, you so, would make a really minor mistake that should be handled quickly, easily, lovingly, no problem, but I would blow up, right? Yeah, so you haven't done that for 
years now, and I still haven't put the trust in you the way I should. Right. So because that that security that you've been looking for your whole life has been elusive. You haven't had someone that you could trust to just calmly and rationally handle every situation. Right? Yeah. I mean, I I feel like I'm just reiterating what you're saying, but I I feel like maybe I'm missing it because you seem frustrated. No, I'm saying, yeah. I mean, it's just hard to trust people. That's all. Right. It's just hard to trust people. It's hard to fully trust people. You can trust people with some things, but then you know there are people that you can't trust at all. Right. I mean, but, I mean, that's natural. Like, there's people in my life that I trust and people I don't trust. Right. And so it's just hard, I think, for me to... But if you stick specifically to our marriage and our relationship, that's one where... I'm we, supposed the to trust, trust is important. Well, yeah. And I should important. just learn to do it and trust you. But the, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is there there's no there's no like trick to make it happen. There's no oh just, you know, wait three and a half weeks and you know, say this mantra three times a day and spin around circles before you go to bed and um Everything will be fine. The, the, again, the, all, everything, everyone who works in this field, all the stuff that we do and talked about and read about and listened about and ad nauseum, you know, try to become better educated and help, and help ourselves and help others can, can dig up the reason that the thing is happening but can't solve the problem. I mean, I think this is why there's so much misery in the world. Like, I'm not saying anything that's just unique to you or unique to us. But it, it, it's, it's also reality. Trusting is hard. And it's really hard if you didn't have that as a kid. And it's profoundly hard if you've been married to an alcoholic or in, a, in any other way loved an alcoholic and your trust has been abused. When you've tried to trust, it's been thrown back in your face. And that's where we sit. You know, so we, you and I work with this group of wonderful people, this group of loved ones of alcoholics in the Echoes of Recovery program. And... You know, we we have told people all along since the beginning of kind of bringing this group together that we're not therapists, we're not psychologists, we're not here to necessarily solve the problem. We're here to give everyone a place to connect and communicate and share their stories and hear the pain of others and realize that they're not alone. And, you know, if we do end up publishing this episode, that's what this is all about is telling people you are not alone. And yeah, we've got this podcast and we do this writing and we got a book coming out in a couple months. And But, you know, that doesn't mean it's perfect and fixed and solved. It's messy and it's ugly and it hurts like hell. But communicating and sharing it 
is, you know, it's one of the only, it's not even a solution. I was going to use the word solution. It's one of the only consolations that we have to help each other and to feel a little bit less bad about the situation we're in. And so, you know, I, I mention every episode, if, if you, if that's something you are looking for, if you're listening to this and it's hitting you right where it hurts for you and you understand the situation that you're in, Sherry, of not being able to trust even three and a half years into sobriety, then we want you to join us in Echoes of Recovery. And you can get more information about that at echoesofrecovery.com, E-C-H-O-E-S of recovery.com. And we and all the other wonderful people in this group will offer help and support to you. And we'd love it if you'd offer help and support to us because clearly we all still need it. I want to talk about how um, I want to talk about how your inability to to trust fully how that is impacting me um, now three and a half years into sobriety I talk and preach all the time in writing and in talking about how important patience is and that this is a long haul this recovering ourselves as individuals and recovering our marriage is a long haul and it's true and I've had to take my advice many many times and sometimes it's hard to take that advice and right now is one of those times in particular it's I'm far enough removed from that behavior that alcoholic behavior that lack of being rational that saying mean vile things that being untrustworthy, right? That I, I am at a point where I need you to trust me. And I think what we're talking about right now, right here, I think this is the, kind of the defining reason why the majority of marriages with alcoholics that are in recovery, not I, I'm not even talking about people that are actively drinking, but alcoholics that are in recovery, the vast majority of them end in failure. And I think this is kind of the crux of the issue. You are being asked to trust someone who has for so long proven untrustworthy. And then going back even further before that, you didn't have you know, a trusting, secure example to base things on before you came into the relationship, which is ridiculously common and frequent the more people we talk to the more we realize you know the cycles of alcoholism and and the trauma of childhood it might not be the specific situation you were in but it's similar enough that um, it makes trust an issue in people's adult lives many 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 people not not rare at all and so here you are struggling to trust me and it it's hurtful for you because you want that security and you can't have it and you don't know how to get yourself over the hump to trusting me but it's also it's it's really really hard for me 
And I'm sure there are people that are going to listen to this and be like, shut up, you dumbass alcoholic. You caused you this. Like you it's your fault. To prove? Don't you feel like that you really need that trust to kind of solidify your sobriety? Like if you have something that you've stayed sober and you've worked hard and now you just need the people that you've damaged to trust you, that'll be like kind of like the last thing off of the list of things that you feel and and you deserve to feel the trust of them when you've proven yourself over and over. So don't you feel like it's almost like an essential need that you need to have people fully trust you because you have damaged the relationship, you've recovered, you know, we've like there's been recovery work with you and sobriety and things have changed. And so that's just like, you know, another piece of your healing process is to know that you are trusted and val- and that that trust is equaling value to you. Uh, yeah. I mean, so you're using... That's why it's really hard for you. You're using, a, you're using plural and it's, it's not plural. It's one person. It's you. I don't, I don't feel like with the kids, I feel like everything's in a good spot and been repaired. I don't feel like there's a lack of trust there. You and I, in the midst of this awfulness that we're going through, had a, just a wonderful conversation with our daughter last night who's struggling with something, with trying to support one of her friends who's in a bad relationship. And I think we, you know, talked her off the ledge for lack of a better way to say that and calmed her down and we worked together to do that. And that made me very proud because if I had been drinking, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So, so that was good. It's not, but, but everything else you said is right. I do I need I, that. I just don't need it from multiple people. I need that from you. I guess I was just thinking there might be listeners that feel they need it from other people. And I know that you okay. feel that you need it from other family members or your parents and things like that. Because it's not, you know, the relationship that you're, you're caring about the repair. Well, of. as much as. I mean, there's there's relationship damage done in an alcoholic, in an alcoholic's lives that goes far beyond marriage for sure, and there's repair that needs to be done, and you know I feel like in our case we've worked on that and some of it's gotten better and there's still work to be done, but that's not what happened in the last couple of days. Is you know we went into basically a relapse. A, rel- a dry relapse. You know, you talk about a dry drunk, right? Someone who's sober, but they're not actually doing anything to improve their health, their mental health, and learn about the disease and and fix the underlying cause or any of that. Well, that's a dry drunk, right? We had a dry relapse. I mean, we went to the pits of hell with how we felt about ourselves and about each other, and there was no alcohol involved. So whereas the the argument that we had a week ago about a cooler and packing a cooler was so 
rewarding because it was so normal. This, what's happened to us in the last couple of days is the opposite of that. I mean, can you feel that too? I mean, I feel this and I say, okay, this isn't, this isn't okay. This isn't what, like, we shouldn't just accept this and say this is going to happen every couple of months for the rest of our lives and that's okay. This is the result of something bigger and more evil, the, the alcoholism. I can distinguish this um, feeling of pain from, from a normal, healthy disagreement. Can you? Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, to answer, so to answer your question, yes, I, I'm at a point where I need you to trust me and I don't know, maybe that's selfish of me. Maybe I don't deserve it, but for my mental health, that's what I need. And so it's. You know, it's putting a lot of pressure on you, I know. But when you're, when you're trust, when you're trustworthy, which I am now, I didn't used to be, but I am now when you're trustworthy, when you don't, you know, I don't say mean things to you. I, I try to protect you in every way that I can as a spouse should, just like you protect me. I'm not not saying this in some weird sexist way, but I try to protect you and you try to protect and nurture me. We try to do this for each other. We're in this together. We're raising kids together. We're working together. We're paying the mortgage together. We're doing all this stuff. And, but then there's this, you know, lack of trust that rears its head and you know, without going into a great deal of detail, it, it has completely wrecked our intimate relationship because intimacy is all about trust. And so, um, you know, when, when, I, when I touch you, when I put my arms around you and I hold you and I hug you, that should feel that should be the epitome of the feeling of safety and it isn't sometimes you wonder what i want sometimes it just feels a little creepy crawly but it's not welcomed as a kind of bastion of safety is that fair what i just said mostly yeah Anything specific you want to correct me on or? No? I, I mean, yeah. Like, it just depends on what's going on. Of what, what, are, what we've been through or been going on. Sometimes it does feel nice because I know that it doesn't have to be anything more than just a nice hug. And then other times... Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, what's he done or what does he want or what's the underlying innuendo? And other times when we're not getting along very well, it feels 
kind of creepy and kind of feels like and sometimes I feel like it's manipulating like kind of makes me feel a little bit like you know calm down little girl I'm gonna take care of you and I know that I've told you that I was seeking security and you and I had I that's the stuff that I asked for Well, here's here's the thing about a relationship and recovery. If if you if you never reach this stage, if you never hit sobriety, you never have to deal with this because the lack of trust is there, but it's deserved, and the drinker doesn't know but know any better anyway. <clears throat> So that you know, as an active alcoholic, I was certainly whiny. I wanted, I wanted more affection, and I wanted you to praise me. And you wanted me to trust you and go along with what you had to say. And and definitely, I feel like the trust issue has been a lot longer than just this time in recovery. But I mean, even when you were drinking, you still wanted me to trust in what you were doing or your choice or. Your beliefs. But here's the difference. Um, there's two differences. When I was drinking, I didn't deserve your trust. And I, you know, in, in ways I knew that. And if I wasn't getting what I needed from you in the way of, you know, trust and reassurance, it didn't matter because I would just go drink and, and make all those feelings go away. And now I... I I can't do that anymore and um, trust is a vital component of a relationship and, tr- and trust me weird choice of words right but trust me I sit there sometimes and go oh Matt you're just being a whiny little bitch don't you know um, you gotta fill your own bucket Matt we all have to fill our own bucket in life and and you can't just wait for Sherry's reassurances to make you feel good about yourself but the, here's the fact we are out on a limb as far as, um, you know, trying to do this work to crush the stigma of alcoholism and help people heal. And it's a huge leap of faith. And I maybe do... And, and here's another thing that's happened with us. I've worked really hard to stop worshiping the almighty dollar and thinking of fame and 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 monetary success as as the goal and the reason I stopped thinking that way is because I realized how many miserable rich people there are and how my pursuit of making money didn't bring me any joy and so because uh because the traditional american trajectory which is get yours get as much as you can get it at all costs grab as much power and money as you can because that's not part of us anymore I do need probably more from you in the area of reassurance and yeah this is the right thing to be doing and and we got to keep going I need that more than normal people would I suppose and it puts an unfair burden but when you match that with this this lack of security and lack of trust 
it's a pretty volatile combination because I need at least a normal amount of trust being put in me. Maybe I need more than is normal, and maybe that's part of the problem. But what I'm getting is less than what is normal because it's a, it's a hang-up for you. I know, I know that it's difficult for you to talk about this stuff on a good day, and it's particularly difficult right now because we're in the throes of it. And I totally respect that. And I know you haven't, you haven't talked very much. And I get it. I get it. But is what I'm saying? Do you think I'm representing representing it accurately? Yeah, I. I think you are. I think that us having our own business in the bakery that demanded a lot more faith and confidence and trust than what I think a, a quote-unquote normal or average relationship would have been be- if there had been someone else paying the bills and paying you as an employee because that was a whole brave new sort of world. And I know that it wasn't the traditional pursuit of making all the money that you could it was so you could be close to home and you wouldn't have to travel for work and you could be here for the kids so i think it started with with the our own business because there's a lot of stressors there and then with the drinking and then now this with the non with the stigma that's definitely an out there sort of way to have a have a career so I think that the career choices you've made have been for very good selfless reasons and I think they require someone that has a lot more trust and confidence um, to be able to give um, just because there was the role of alcohol played in and that's really hard for me and I think the just the person that I was when you met me um, you, you need security and I keep dragging you out on a limb with these ventures right and like I said they're for very selfless reasons well but helping others wanting to be the soccer dad and you know you taught our kids to ski you've taught our kids to drive they come to you with problems you know so it's all very selfless, but when I was thinking, oh, he's graduating with a business degree from Indiana University, and that's a really good business school, he's going to have a job that's steady and secure, and we're not going to have to worry about what health insurance costs that much because the company is going to provide it. It's those little things, and then that's what I was looking for, but you had a bigger purpose when you realized that you were not really loving that corporate life when we after we had kids because you didn't want to be away from the daughter our daughter that much and you didn't want to be away from me and i was realizing that just pursuit of money wasn't all it's cracked up to be right even though it's a child of the 80s i mean that's how we were and this is not a crack on my parents this is how every kid i know was raised go get as much as you can yeah, so I think that with the insecurity of alcoholism, the the 
environment I was brought up in of, you know, don't, don't rely on anybody. Be self-sufficient, you know. Don't count on people for stuff because you have to do it yourself. Don't trust. And so that equated to don't trust. That's why I can compartmentalize the things that I trust about you. And I try to tell you, and it doesn't matter, that I trust you more than any other person in the world. But that's because I don't really trust a lot of people. Yeah. But so that's... That's that's where we are. I think maybe the fact that we are out on a limb and my needs are more than normal for that trusting support um, just shines a spotlight on the, the predicament. It would be there regardless if I, you know, if I had a had stayed with my sales job and was you know sitting in an office as a sales manager now in some at some company. Um, you still wouldn't be able to trust me, but I might not know it quite as much because I might not be quite so needy for it. Well, I don't think you're needy for it. It's just that it's, you know, well-deserved and well-earned at this point. And, and you need the reassurance that comes along with the trust that I often don't give because I don't know if it's you know I don't know if this venture is going to work out I didn't know if the bakery was going to nothing is ever guaranteed that's for sure but each step we make career wise seems more risky than the one before well and I I have to tell you while we're on this topic everything that we do propels us forward further into working with people who have faced the stigma of alcoholism and are dealing with the pain of alcoholism, it feels more right every day. Everything we do makes me more convinced that this is what we're on earth to do because of the feedback we receive and the... uh, and the things we're learning, you know, the the direction we're going feels so, 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 so right. So I don't want to paint this picture that I'm just sitting here every day trying to decide whether to, you know, um, I don't know, jump off a bridge or not. I'm not trying to make light of suicide. I don't, it, it's not like I don't have confidence in the mission because I do, I have I have growing confidence in the mission, a tremendous amount of confidence in the, in the mission. Um, and then that lack of unknown for me and that foretelling of the future, or at least having a good guesstimate of the future, lessens my security. So then I become more in control because if I can control a few things, it's a gratif- immediate gratification of having some sort of sense of security. And then that doesn't put trust in you. Yeah. Because I'm having to look for it within myself, and within myself is trying to control and maintain and manage things. So, where do we go from here? I mean, we do the only thing we can. We keep trying. And I keep trying to be trustworthy, and you keep trying to trust me. 
I keep trying to provide that security and you keep trying to believe in the security. And there's no shortcut, quick fix, magic bullet, none of it. We just got to keep plowing ahead. And we're in the midst of this dry relationship relapse right now. And we just got to pull ourselves out of it and keep going. And we'll have the support of the Echoes of Recovery folks, which is really important. And that's all we can do, right? I'm a I'm a I'm a uh, you know born optimist, and I I never want to end an episode like this kind of on a down note. But it's reality, and for our listeners, I hope I hope if nothing else, you appreciate the reality that you get here. I've always said I hate the puppy dogs and rainbows and unicorns aspects of recovery. Oh, I. I'm not drinking. Isn't it great? Everything's great. It's not. Everything's not great. It's not. Um, But it's a hell of a lot better than active addiction. And it has the potential to be great. So we'll just keep, keep plugging along, keep trying to make it great. If, if this is, helpful to you if you listen to these podcast episodes and you appreciate um, the honesty more than some kind of uh, blowing sunshine up your keister solution driven thing um, we would we would appreciate your support um, we're on a mission to fight this stigma and we've got a long 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 way to go and if you're interested in supporting us, you can do so at thestigma.org, thestigma.org. And there's a donate button right there. And, and you know, you could do a, a monthly 10 bucks a month kind of support, or you could just do a one-time donation. But um, we're not giving up anytime soon. We're, we're going to, we're going to expose what a, um, alcoholic relationship and recovery looks like what it takes to get healthy and we're going to help people do that without feeling ashamed and needing to whisper about it and assuming divorce is the only option we're going to keep going and if you think it's important and you want to support us we'd love that this one's been hard I feel like though necessary sorry if we dragged you down into the into the pit of dry relationship relapse with us but this is where we are right now and next time you listen um, hopefully we'll be in a much better place for my wonderful loving wife who I just adore more than anything else in the world for Sherry Salis I'm Matt Salis this is the echo (laughs) this is the intoxicated podcast and we thank you for listening (laughs) 